the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. 602-508-0960 is the number if you'd like to call in. And we will get to the calls in just a moment. I, uh, I'd like to uh, start off with uh, um, this point. It's the first Monday in October. For those of you that haven't seen the movie, it means it's the first day the Supreme Court every year reconvenes for their upcoming, what is now their current term. And what they do, of course, is they engage in a conference. Usually it's in person. It hasn't been through COVID. To, uh, last year, today it was. And it dawned on me because it kept these stories kept talking about all the justices conversing today. And I thought, wait a minute. I don't understand this. Thursday, the sirens were screaming and the lights were flashing that one of the Supreme Court justices had COVID, Brett Kavanaugh. Whatever happened to that? Oh, that just kind of flies away. Because if you look up today, you will see, well, because of the quarantine rules, he called in for today's Supreme Court justice meeting. I get that. <laughs> if you're in quarantine, that's what you have to do. But it did say he's asymptomatic and expected back at the court shortly. It's funny how that isn't or wasn't part of the story last week. Just as how it was funny, the first story that printed on Brett Kavanaugh didn't mention he was fully vaccinated. That was interesting to me, too. Because we're living in an age right now of lies. We are living in an age of lies. And it is precious, if not funny, watching organizations like Lately, late the latest one, YouTube, deciding who is and who isn't speaking the truth. I've been facing this for some time with the advent of COVID, advent with the landing of COVID here in America. I used to give monologues on COVID until I realized and we were told YouTube was banning them. Because the only COVID data that they would allow had to be a government source. I'm not a government source. So they banned it. So I decided to do a monologue one day last year quoting exclusively a government source, a Deputy Secretary of Health and Human Services, a Senate-confirmed Deputy Secretary who was doubly credentialed in having a Ph.D. and M.D. about the problems our children, our youth, would face 
given some of the mitigation strategies, school closings and that sort of thing. I gave no edit to her speech. I didn't change it one whit. I read it, as they say in Latin, in heck verba, verbatim, banned, because they lie to you too. It's not the government sources that are the problem. It's not towing the party line. That's the problem. And YouTube, as has Twitter, decides to wrap that political preference of theirs, political ideology really, into their determination of what's true and what isn't, into their assessment as to what their customers and the public can listen to and watch and what they can't. It's an, it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon watching 1984 take place in real time in 2021, the novel 1984. It's an interesting thing. I was talking to an old buddy of mine, and he said, well, did you ever read, read the book The Image by Daniel Borston? I had read a lot by Daniel Borston, one of the country's best and really one of the most country's most famous academic historians credentialed everywhere from the University of Chicago to Yale, Oxford, professor at the University of Chicago, author of a lot of books on American history, so much so that he was given the position of librarian of Congress. In that profession, you don't get higher than that. And they asked me if, they re- if I read a book called, my friend asked me if I read a book called The Image, and I hadn't, I hadn't even heard of it. I'd read a lot of Borston. I'd never heard of it. It was published in 1961. And it fully explains what I have termed the crisis industrial complex. He saw it in 1961. He didn't use the phrase fake news, by the way. He had a different phrase. Pseudo-events. Pseudo-events. And I didn't realize how bad it was as early as 1961. He writes, I'm suspicious of all mass medicines for national malaise or purposelessness. The bigger the committee, the more representative its membership, the more collaborative its work, the less the chance that it will do more than ease or disguise our symptoms. The problem of national purpose is largely an illusion, although one of the most popular illusions of our time. Our real problem instead is personal. I believe him to be right about that. I believe him to be right about that. The moment we stop thinking of our leaders or thought leaders, political leaders, any other kind of leaders, as individuals, we err. We err. I like how my friend Don put it. You know, when we make the government this thing, we're already surrendering the notion of representative government, if not democracy. The government should be us. At a minimum, it should be responsive to us, but it should be us, and it isn't. It's not made up of or for the interests of the vast American population. It's made up of and for the interest of a progressive elite. And sometimes there are various phrases. Donald Trump liked to call it the swamp. Ronald Reagan would call it uh, the the bureaucracy. Uh, William Bennett in education called it the blob. Uh, There's a lot of phrases for it. Thomas Hobbes called it the leviathan. There's a lot of phrases for it. 
But somehow it's not representative democracy, is it? Do you feel represented? Do you feel the government and the elite institutions in this country take your concerns seriously? So Daniel Borston writes, when we pick up our newspaper at breakfast, we expect, we even demand that it bring us momentous events since the night before. We turn on the car radio as we drive to work and expect news to have occurred since the morning newspaper went to press. Returning in the evening, we expect our house not only to shelter us, to keep us warm in winter and cool in summer, but to relax us, to dignify us, to encompass us with soft music and interesting hobbies, to be a playground, a theater, and a bar. We expect our two-week vacation to be romantic, exotic, cheap, effortless. We expect a faraway atmosphere if we go to a nearby place, and we expect everything to be relaxing, sanitary, and Americanized if we go to a faraway place. We expect new heroes every season, a literary masterpiece every month, a dramatic spectacular every week, a rare sensation every night. We expect somebody to feel free to disagree, yet we expect everybody to be loyal, not to rock the boat, or take the Fifth Amendment. We expect everybody to believe deeply in his religion, yet not to think less of others for not believing in theirs. We expect our nation to be strong and great and vast and varied and prepared for every challenge, yet we expect our national purpose to be clear and simple, something that gives direction to the lives of nearly, at that time, 200 million people, and yet can be bought in a paperback at the corner drugstore for a dollar. We expect anything and everything. We expect the contradictory and the impossible. We expect compact cars, which are spacious, luxurious cars, which are economical. We expect to be rich and charitable, powerful and merciful, active and reflective, kind and competitive. We expect to be inspired by mediocre appeals for excellence, to be made literate by illiterate appeals for literacy. We expect to eat and stay thin, to be constantly on the move and ever more neighborly, to go to a church of our choice and yet feel its guiding power over us, to revere God and yet to be God. I want to get more into this, but think about all of that and the demand on news that brings us this distraction, this unease. What is unease? One might even say disease. This unease of comfort. And if you think... You or your friends have been going through an inordinate amount of anxiety of late. The crisis industrial complex is winning and you're losing. That's why I thought it was a good thing for Facebook to be down for eight hours. I'd love it to be down for 800 hours. More in a moment. Professor Borston tells us that we are ruled by two extravagant expectations. One, of what the world holds, of how much news there is, of how many heroes there are, how often masterpieces are made, how exotic the nearby can be, how familiar the exotic can become, of the closeness of places and farness of places. That's one. Two, of our power to shape the world, of our ability to create events when there are none, to make heroes when they don't exist, to be somewhere else when we haven't left home, of our ability to make art forms suit our convenience, to transform a novel into a movie, to turn a symphony into a mood conditioning, to fabricate national purposes when we lack them, to pursue these, pursue these purposes after we have fabricated them, to invent our standards, and then to respect them as if they had been revealed 
or discovered. The making of the illusions the making of the illusions which flood our experience has become the business of America, some of its most honest and most necessary and most respectable respectable businesses. The making of the illusions flood our experience has become the business of America. What ails us is not what we have done with America, but what we have substituted for America, he writes. We are haunted not by reality, but by those images we have put in place of reality. Have you heard me talk about, he mentions heroes a lot there, have you heard me talk about who we've made heroes of and who we've made enemies of, or evil people of, anti-heroes? We've got it all wrong. We've got it all wrong. I had no real problem attaching the phrase hero, the term hero, to our healthcare workers last year. Do you remember all of that? Nurses as the new heroes? I, I really had no problems. They were doing a lot, a lot more than was expected under exhausting and trying circumstances. And if you go, I don't know what web browser you use to search for Internet stories, but whatever you use, they usually have an images tab or some version of an images tab. Just put in hospital workers, heroes, under images, if you forgot how much of a big deal hospital workers were last year to us. By the way, long, long, long before we were in the six-figure death count, long before. I mean, you've got all kinds of, of healthcare workers. You've got the nurses, Rosie the Riveter. We've got this. We can handle this. And God bless them all. God bless them all. My question is this. God bless, too, all the hospital workers that are quietly being laid off and fired by the hundreds for not taking the vaccine that their hospitals want them to take. 20% of healthcare workers have quit their jobs during the entirety of the pandemic. 20% for a lot of reasons. Over the last four weeks, hundreds, hundreds have quit because of the vaccine mandates. Now, it seems to me that's a story of heroes who can no longer do their job. Would you not want to do a follow-up on these Heroes? Were they only good when things were bad for the Trump administration? Were they only good when they were towing the line that Donald Trump wasn't doing enough? Or do you think they're still the same people and they still have interesting thoughts since they are the frontline workers in this pandemic? But the media doesn't seem to want to hear from these people, these heroes, do they? Why is that? Why is that? Because it's all one big pseudo-event where we replace common sense for uncommon sense when it can be waged for a political or social purpose wrapped under the administration of the crisis industrial complex. 
Sure, COVID is a crisis. Sure, you bet. And so has been the response. And so has been that which has been asked of everyone in this country to do something about it. Of course it is. But only one side of that crisis is being reported. Did you see in Colorado? In Colorado. Twitter put a trigger warning on an obituary of a woman who was against the vaccine, took it, and died because the obituary said that. And they wouldn't let you forward it. Did you see this? It's not news if you don't read about it, right? And Twitter did what they could to stop it. They relented under a lot of pressure. It's not as if they aren't subject to some levels of pressure here and there. Some legislation might be some good due and needed pressure right now, I should think. Doug is in Maricopa. Hi, Doug. Hey, Seth. How are you doing today? I'm well, sir. How are you? Well, I'm doing well. Um, I'm trying to decide if I should be Eeyore or Tigger as per our last conversation with those ladies. Um, there are, you know, and, and, that, that, that's a very, very extreme <laughs> way of looking at the world, Doug. There's a lot. Yes, there's I a lot of it. distance in between Tigger and Eeyore. There is. You know, you, always, you don't yeah. need these countervailing <laughs> extreme forces. Extremism in the hundred acre wood in defense of liberty is no vice. And well, you, you get Piglet true. and you get Rue and Kanga. There's a lot of other options. And, of course, the big guy, Pooh Bear. Yeah, good old Pooh Bear. You could just sit and, there yeah, and eat I, some well, honey, like, Doug. Yeah, I got to sit down. Well, like I always say, truthfully, when I call up, I'm really just asking questions to really make us assess. Because I always joke, and, I, and it's really serious, though, that I'm a very optimistic pessimist. Uh, you got to be able to look at a situation. Nothing in business will change if you're afraid to look at the problem. You know, but the questions I have today are this, because you, you brought up some great things that basically it's a crisis industrial conflict. But I would like to say that it's all directed by a narrative. The left's narrative is what drives it. Um, anybody useful, any hero, it's only if it fits the narrative. And if not, they're discarded and crushed because they aren't useful. The polar bear is going to die. Everybody's dying. They're all, you know, they'd find an old polar bear that's near death, maybe, you know, 20 years old, and they would say it's because of global warming. Polar bears are all going to die. Then when the uh, a professor in British Columbia, who is one of the leading experts of polar bears and does the counting for Canada, yeah. says that there's more polar bears than ever, and so she doesn't fit the narrative. No, no, no. Brett Kavanaugh is just fine having been stricken by COVID, don't you know? He's just fine. That's right. Let me me take the quick break here, and we'll come back to you. And, of course, others are welcome to join. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. I was uh, I was just uh, I'll I'll come back to this. Remind me to talk about COVID and pets, Bill. There's there's an interesting thing I want to get to on that. But Doug and Maricopa, thank you for your patience, sir. Yeah, 
Well, so here's the questions I have <clears throat> is in any of the institutions we've lost to the left, in any of the corporate uh, boardrooms that have gone left, the question I have is when they're under pressure, who do they fear? Do they fear the left? Or do they fear us? Because most of these people, I mean, these organizations are nothing but people. Each person has a need to be approved of, a need for personal fulfillment yeah, sure. and belief in things. Yeah. So the question is, how will any of this change? Because we are on a course, and we're doing good about talking about the descent to the left. And if you read the book Total Warfare by those Japanese uh, Chinese communist uh, colonels that was written mid-decades ago. This was all predicted, and this was all part of their the great plan. What's going to change course? And, and if, if they don't fear the right, because we're gutless, and we're, we're going to talk highbrow about it, and the left gets down and dirty and pushes, poof, I wouldn't fear us. I'd cave to the left every time. The left is who I would be afraid of. Well, they they make a pretty good showing, don't they? I mean, if, if, if whether whether you're talking about Antifa or rioters under a different violent riots under a different banner uh, that might be BLM, or whether you're talking about the kinds of things we saw at ASU a few days ago with Kirsten Cinema. Um, if you're talking of if if you're if you're a, if you're a journalist yourself, doing your best to just be a journalist, just be a journalist. Remember when journalists were heroes and wars against the press and the media were a bad thing, and there were all these organizations, liberal organizations, to defend journalists abroad. We need them here. You know the story of Andy No. There's no one more intersectional than Andy No on the physical appearance. Front. He's an Asian American, avowedly a uh, uh, member of of, of the uh, of the gay community, and whenever he tries to do a report on what Antifa is up to, he ends up in the hospital. Or because c- or censored because, or censored be, because it doesn't follow the narrative. Right. The narrative rules. That's why I've been bringing up reality doesn't matter. It's the narrative. We on the right don't have, we have a narrative of truth and of absolute success, but we won't apply a narrative and do political action according to the narrative and hold to the narrative and talk to the narrative. They have a narrative and it defies all reason and logic and it's proven to be, their narrative has been the cause of 100 million deaths in the 20th yes. century. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. You stick to the narrative and you will convince the public. We have success of liberty and success in moving across. We can't even come up with a narrative. So I ask again. Well, we have a. Well, I, I, th- I think we do have a narrative. And, and, and quite honestly, Doug, you know, you, you wrote it. You wrote it. Because the media is doing everything it can, as are all our cultural and educational institutions, do everything they can to bury it. You told it to me a long time ago. 
capitalism can never succeed enough to create a success, never mind a perfection, to be settled, and socialism can never fail enough for progressives to stop supporting it. That sounds vaguely familiar. You taught it to me. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think it was you. Yep. Yeah, no, it was me. So it let me tell me. you how we get out of it when we come back. I'll be right back. I wait. All right. A gog. 6025080960. We'll be right back. Is this Eddie Money Day? Let's have a little. That's him on sax, I think, isn't it? Could be. He was a saxophone player as well as a singer. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Uh, see some callers on hold. I'll get to you in a moment. I just want to answer, as, as promised, to a previous caller, Doug. Where do you turn it around? It's, it's really not very hard uh, for me to come up with the answer. It's much harder to do it. But it's not impossible. And some people are doing it. Some people are doing it. This didn't happen overnight, first of all. It happened over a period of time. And over that period of time, conservatives were neglectful. Conservatives were neglectful. They did not take seriously what was happening in, our, happening in our education system. We are not the same country we used to be. And that's deliberate. Just as I spoke in the first hour about my friend reminding me how much Alinsky was fed us in college and how we're seeing it play out on the streets of America today, just as what he studied at Quantico plays out on the battlefields around the world. He recognized that from his training at Quantico, and he recognized the leftist actions on the streets and in the media and on the news from political science training as an undergrad. He says it's all as, as we were taught, and he's right. I simply don't understand how we can expect millions upon millions of high school and college graduates every year, about 8 million, graduating every single year from environments steeped in socialism and Marxism. Every year, for 30 years now. And to have the same country that John Kennedy would recognize just as equally as Richard Nixon. Or that Ronald Reagan would recognize just as easily as Jimmy Carter or Walter Mandale. It's not the same country. Now, I recognize not every student of those millions is a poli-sci major. I get that. But a lot of them are anthropology majors and sociology majors and economic majors and business majors and marketing majors and journalism majors. And even those in the hard sciences are living in an environment whether they care two wits about politics or not, it cares about them. They may not know Karl Marx from John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt, but Karl Marx cares about them. And the professors and adherents of Marx care about them. 
And even if they remain apolitical, they are living in an environment where they are told what they can and cannot say and what they will be dismissed from class for saying, what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. They are drenched in a language controlled by a party line. They may not even know they're speaking that language. They probably don't. They think it's the lingua franca. It's propaganda. They've never been challenged differently, and any speaker that comes on campus to challenge them will require security if they are going to be heard. And even then, they may not be. Claremont was known as Fort Reagan in the, 70, in the 80s. Hugh Hallman will validate that if, if, if I'm misreporting it. I remember it being called that because they had, what, like five professors who were advising the Reagan administration? It was known as Fort Reagan. Two years ago, Heather MacDonald could not speak there. Lest she end up in the hospital. So until and unless we're willing to do what these brave citizens are doing, Ronald Reagan said citizen was his favorite word because it involved action, not indolence. Until we're willing to stand with these brave citizens going to school board meetings and running for school board, you're not going to change the curricula, not at the elementary level, not at the secondary level, and not at the post-secondary or collegiate level. At the collegiate level, governors need to take seriously their appointment powers in, 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 in their boards of regents or boards of trustees, if you prefer that term, but they're usually considered boards of regents. They need to take seriously that obligation. And if they're private colleges, there's a reason they have billions of dollars in endowment. Not all of that money came from the left. Most of it didn't. Stop it. You tell those colleges if they want your money, they're going to respect your views rather than train people who will upend them and this country. Milan Kundera is a great novelist from Czechoslovakia when there was a thing called Czechoslovakia. He saw his country disappear. Disappear! Because people weren't willing to stand up to fascism. He wrote in his book of laughter and forgetting the first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory, destroy its books, its culture, its history. They have somebody, then have somebody write new books, manufacture a new culture, invent a new history. Before long, the nation will begin to forget what it is and what it was. Before long. 30 years, a generation? That's what Reagan said it would be. A generation, 30 years. Before long, the nation will begin to forget what it is and what it was. I give you Daniel Borston. I give you his book that I quoted from you earlier, where we replace American with un-American, and we expect what we used to have. You can't do it. You can't do it. Not if you want to keep that which you cherish. 
Can you restore it? You bet. You bet. And until you do, maybe take a real hard look at your child's school. A real hard look. Maybe tomorrow I'll tell you what you should look for in that school. Yes, indeed, I will. We'll be right back. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. I do apologize uh, if you're on hold. We have a few and we didn't get to you today. We, um, we most certainly will, if you call back any day this week and tell us you were on hold and didn't make it, we'll put you right to the top. So let me apologize uh, r- right away for that. Um, Professor Borston writes that the disproportion between what an informed citizen needs to know and what he can know is greater, is greater than any accommodation to the pseudo-events that are being foisted upon us. The disproportion grows with the increase of official powers of concealment and contrivance. Concealment and contrivance. You think you've been subject to some of that over the last several years, never mind maybe the last year and a half? Year and a half, maybe? I gave you uh, Milan Kundera. There's a lot of this around. You can get it from George Orwell talking about the importance of the memory hole and destroying records. You can get it from Jean-Francois Ravel, who in How Democracies Perished said a civilization that feels guilty for everything it is and does will lack the energy and conviction to defend itself. You can get it from Ronald Reagan. From the beginning of his conservative career in 1961 to his retirement from the White House, this was his passion, teaching American history, an informed patriotism. You know what he said in his retirement speech to the nation? You know what he said? He said, if we forget what we did, we won't know who we are. We will have an eradication of the American memory that could result in an erosion of the American spirit. You want to ignore your schools? Ignore them at this country's peril. Until tomorrow, class dismissed. God bless you all. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.